0: Hello there and welcome to TWM, the weekly roundup programme of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media will not ask, right here at sfm.scot. <music> Hi there, I'm John Cole and this week our referees are again in the news. Don Robertson's controversial decision to award the last-minute penalty to Ross County, denying Celtic all three points at... Well, the location of the incident is believed to be Dingwall, but Sky Sports have assured us that the game took place 15 miles further south in Inverness. In the aftermath of that penalty award, Celtic captain Scott Brown was ordered off for a late tackle on Liam Boyce, although a Celtic appeal will mean that Brown won't miss the Scottish Cup semi-final against Rangers next weekend. Meanwhile, Hibbs, Lenny and Duffgate behind them have been crowned championship champions. Not something you can say quickly, half a dozen times. And St Mirren have urged themselves a wee bit closer to championship safety. Our congratulations to the Hibbies who now face Aberdeen in next week's other Scottish Cup semi. Dave King has, as expected, ignored the ruling of the takeover panel that he should offer 20 pence per share to every shareholder in Rangers International Football Club who was not A member of his concert party The takeover panel has responded To the fact that King has ignored them By taking yet another action Against Rangers or their associates In the court of session Revealing a cunning plan by the Rangers board To market season tickets for the public benches Of the Scottish justice system Maybe Later I'll also be talking with The English based Jags mad football journalist And England's king of transfer gossip Alan Nixon We'll be talking about the Jags' top six finish, David Moyes, Brendan Rodgers and other stuff as well. I'll also be talking about one of my favourite all-time players, the incomparable Jim Cookshank of hearts. Lots to talk about then, so let's get started. Well, the main point, our talking point over the weekend was the controversial anti-Ross County's 2-2 draw with Celtic at Dingwall. But it, it should have been the 3-0 Hibbs won against Queen of the South to clinch the championship So that's where I'll start uh, The Hibbies have been in the Lord division now For three years since being defeated by Hamilton in the playoffs in 2014 They had a rampant hearts In the emerging Rangers on their journey Up through the leagues to deal with in that first season And a much improved Rangers Hindered their progress the following year Despite the fact that of course that they beat Rangers uh, In the Scottish Cup final To win the Scottish Cup for the first time in 100 odd years This year though, despite a few stutters, they have been by far the most impressive team in the division which has provided real competition and entertainment. Three defeats to date is impressive, although churlish as it may seem, 13 draws is something that Neil Lennon will want to sort out when he returns to the top division. The chasing pack in the championship of Falkirk, Dundee the United and Morton look to have secured playoff places, although Dunfermline and Queen of the South won't be raising a white flag just yet until their ar- arithmetic says otherwise. None of the three just mentioned has any real momentum at the moment, but Falkirk are a point ahead of United and three ahead of Morton with three games each left. In the Premiership, Rangers had a comfortable 2 0 home win against Partick Thistle to boost their confidence ahead of next week's Scottish Cup match against Celtic, while Aberdeen's away win at McDermott Park boosted Rangers' chances of finishing third. Uh, Hamilton put Dundee in second bottom peril after their 2 0 victory at Dens, and their Lanarkshire neighbours Motherwell went up to Inverness, we think, still waiting, Sky Sports confirmation in that, and piled on the misery for the locals with a 4 2 win. Well, referee Don Robertson's decision to award Ross County a penalty against Celtic after a very obvious dive in the box by Alex Shulk was the latest in a series of ridiculous refereeing blunders throughout this season. Celtic have little to complain about. They've already won the league, their unbeaten run continues and there is the equally balmy penalty award that they benefited from against St Johnson a couple of months ago. However, that level of incompetence has a material effect on both Hamilton and Motherwell who now find themselves a point behind County in a four-way battle to avoid being caught up in a relegation playoff. The outsourcing of the refereeing service has been suggested more than once in SFM and it's found support from Stuart Cosgrove in this programme just a few weeks ago. Scottish referees are simply not good enough, and when the stakes are so high, livelihoods are on the line here. It's not good enough to say that it all evens itself out over a season. Although there have also been the conspiracy theories, the usual ones, all over social media about the refs deliberately making life difficult for Celtic, one would think that had the referees really been able to damage Celtic, they would have perhaps did the damage in high-profile, high-stakes matches against teams around them in the league. There is no conspiracy, there's just an unbelievable level of incompetency. And after Scott Brown's dismissal and putting my own cards on the table here, I didn't think the challenge was worthy of a straight red. Uh, But the fact that there was no appeal committee sitting this week means that uh, a Celtic appeal against it won't be heard until after next week's Scottish Cup final against Rangers, so their captain will be available. Celtic will be happy to have him available for such a high-profile show game at Hampden, I'm sure, and it's hardly their fault that the SFA chose to have the week off. However it does highlight yet another breathtaking level of incompetence that in the week preceding two Scottish Cup semi-finals they chose to create a loophole that Scott Brown can easily pass through You really do have to wonder what they were thinking, if that's what they were doing. Maybe they were deliberately avoiding being in the position to adjudicate on who was available for which teams on, on the day, I don't know or maybe they were just being plain daft Answers in the postcard please As we all know, the takeover panel recently rejected an appeal by Rangers chairman Dave King against a previous decision by that body that he and George Taylor, Douglas Park and George Letham had acted in concert when they bought shares in Rangers International Football Club 18 or so months ago. The panel then instructed King, as the leader of the concert party, to make an offer of 20 pence for each of the shares in the company not owned by him or his associates. The deadline to make that offer came and went last week. As David Lowe told us a couple of weeks ago, there is no precedent here and the nature of the punishment, a cold shouldering of the individual concerned, was pretty drastic. The takeover panel, probably motivated by the high profile nature of Rangers and the public petulance of King's response to their decision, have taken the unprecedented step of asking the court of session to compel King to comply with their instruction to make the offer. We await yet another tweeting section from James Dolman, as the courts once more wade into the Ibrox Mire on that one. The downsides for Rangers as a club are not altogether clear, I think. As I said, this is unprecedented stuff, but one thing is absolutely clear. Until either Dave King complies with that order, or Rangers disentangle themselves from association with him, it will be completely impossible for Rangers to raise money by way of any new share issue. There has been talk of withdrawal of current banking facilities and credit services to season ticket holders and all sorts of things, but none of those will be affected by the cold shouldering process. What is affected, while King is still in charge at Rangers and at odds with the panel, is that they will be denied access to growth, which is, after all, what a club with their fan base and attendant potential need to do. Rangers fans will tell us that we're obsessed Um, We are certainly concerned With the situation at Rangers And uh, as any Scottish football fan Should be And it's my honest and earnest wish That Rangers get themselves out From under Dave King's influence Alan Nixon is a journalist who writes mainly for The Sun. He's also a Glaswegian and is the king of English football transfer gossip. I'm very much a student of the game, Alan has been an in-demand scribbler for over 40 years and his opinions generally count. He's also arguably Party Thistle's number one fan and he spoke to me on Sunday. At that time I wanted to ask him about Thistle's achievement and a host of other stuff as well. Alan, first of all, thanks very much for joining us again today. Uh, there's lots I'd like to ask you about, but before anything else, and, and despite that disappointing result at Ibrooks yesterday, Patrick Thistle in the top six. Uh, how significant is that for Thistle?
1: It's unbelievable, really, because it's—I mean, it's 40 years since Thistle have been in the top flight, top half. I was there. I remember it. it was, and I remember thinking at the time, you know, how long will it be before this comes round again? If you think what's happened since to that club, I mean you've had uh, the Bosman rule which was probably the thing that damaged us most we could no longer keep players forever locked up in the cupboard, we actually had to give them contracts and, um, and the gentrification of a lot of uh, of that particular area losing our support, I mean that club could have disappeared and to get back in the top six, that's for all the people who've suffered through the dark years um, and I'm absolutely delighted about it
0: is Alan Archibald uh, you know I mean how, how much credit that should he take for what's happened this year because from my perspective they, they very much came up on the rails didn't they
1: well the good thing about this on the last few years is that we have gone on good runs during the season quite often to make sure that we don't get relegated but this time we we timed it right we got our run uh, a stage where we can actually make the six in what is a pretty average top. Uh, top tier this season. I have to say the teams mm. below us we should finish above because they do try to play football. And despite the fact that there have been an awful lot of injuries in that squad, we've kept it together. Uh, Archie has done a good job because he's a steady in hand. He knows how he wants to play and he sticks to it. Uh, and all credit to him for that. But you've also got to give a lot of credit to the club because the start of last season, Thistle couldn't get a point. In the first nine or ten games. But Mm -hmm. there was never any question he was going to go. So it's that kind of club. They will stick with their own people. And quite rightly so. So while Alan is is rightly being praised for what he's done this season. Then the people who run the club should also be praised for leaving him alone last season. uh, When he was struggling a little bit. But while they were struggling you knew that down the line... They were trying to do the right thing. So um I think we should always slap each other on the back uncharacteristically.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing we, we were talking about this last week as well, that the Partict are quite often cast as the kind of pantomime horse of uh, of Glasgow football anyway, you know, and the, the Rangers and Celtic being the Prince Charmings uh, you know, if I could use that kind of analogy. Yeah. but But how much of that do the Thistle supporters own? How much of that are they are they actually quite proud of because it gives them a, a bit of character?
1: Well, there is a bit of that in it. I mean, the, the, the trouble is it's, it has been an elderly support if you look at it over the last few years and none of us are getting any younger. Mm. Uh, so that's why the support has diminished. And I think the, the overall support have a great deal of pride in, in the club but they also have a sense of humour as they always have had yeah. and a sense of perspective. Um, they know that you know there are times when we could have gone we were down in the third tier you know, they could have shut the doors and nobody really would have cared uh, and that gives you an immense pride uh, and that keeps you going rather than anything else. Look, the, the, the recovery has been there for the last four or five years it was started by Jackie McNamara the man we cannot name Uh, and obviously the Weir uh, family have been magnificent behind the scenes and it's not just what's going on at first team level just now The, the, the young team's very good and the youth teams in the academy is thriving probably it's the best it's ever been and that really has to be the model that should have been the model 50 years ago when we first did it but we, we lost our way. now we've got an opportunity to do it again and at a time when people are not investing in bringing young players through we are so um, I just hope I'm still around in 10 years time and and, st-
0: and see the benefits of it. Yeah, well, actually, I've, I've been noticing a lot of your tweets over over the, over this season a, a, a lot of about the youth team and and, and, the, and the successes that they've been having. It's brilliant. But I was talking to Phil Gordon last week uh, about Thistle, and and he said that that he thought that the key to Alan Archibald's success when he when he came in from Jackie McNamara was that he didn't change anything. That that he thought there was a good model there, a way to play, and that, and that he continued with that, and and that that probably contributed. To a, a, you know the continuity if you like
1: yeah McNamara did bring in a passing game um, and it and it worked he also had a great system with two wing backs and that was the reason that we were going towards promotion but let's not forget it was Alan Archibald that stepped in and made sure we did it after yeah. McNamara did a runner mm. so for me he's got massive credit in the bank for that alone Uh, and since then we have tried to play we can be lightweight at times we can be exploited at times because we do want to play from the back but um, he's managed to he's got real he's a defender and he's sorted out the defence in quite a major way this season so we are in pretty good shape, and if you consider, as I say, that you know the one or two players aren't actually in the side just now, who we have often depended on, we've got through. I always thought that if Thistle's first eleven was in the park, we'd a chance of a result. Now we've got a squad that gives us a chance of yeah. a result, obviously, with the exception of the Rangers game, where I think we were just too many shot. Uh, but to go eight games undefeated in the Premier League. Uh, with the kind of resources we've got, is uh, it's a wonderful achievement. It generally goes under the radar. I heard someone describe it as overachieving. There's no such thing as overachieving in football. You know that. All you do is you achieve the best of what you've got. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what we're doing.
0: Well... Alan Archibald, you just said that the has had a lot of support from the club, has a lot of support from the board of directors. And do you think that that, that, that faith will be repaid with his loyalty? Because because I imagine that uh, that people will start to, to look at him as a as a prospect for for elsewhere.
1: Yeah, possibly so. But um, there's a lot to be said for longevity uh, at one club for managers. I mean, if he, he could come down to England if he wants. He probably lasted about nine months, and mm-hmm. I don't mean that because he isn't a good manager, uh, but yeah, that's all you get. You get a season in England, If you and if it's not good enough, it's your fault you're out of the door. Yeah. You know, you'd are going somewhere unknown, you wouldn't have the, the legendary status at any other club, and therefore you would not be cut any slack. So my advice to him would be, look, sit where you are. Okay, if an Aberdeen or something like that came along, a top job in Scotland, yeah, okay, go with a blessing. Uh, but don't be chasing a job in England Because it's a waste of time it's Managerial moves in England Are only for those who Think they can earn money for a year And they don't know when their next job will be It's an absolute nightmare And it's, it has been for the
0: last two or three years And, when, and where from here then? Uh, I mean next year obviously Now the, bit, the benchmark has been has been set And uh, a top six finish next year Is going to be required as well
1: Well you've got Hibs coming out in the Premier League Are obviously going to be looking at the top yeah. six uh, because they are a genuinely big club uh, so that'll put pressure on us but if we're fighting for 6th or 7th place next year I, I don't mind that I don't think there's any reason why we can't put ourselves in the same category as St Johnson who've regularly been in that kind of company so no um, no, we are definitely the, the runt of the pack you know, nobody talks about us nobody expects us to do anything uh, but we're actually doing it right, and I can't believe I'm saying that after 40, after 40 odd years But uh, it's, it's I can't describe the glow it gives you. You know, it's it's just. It, it, I mean, last last week when we made the top six, I was seriously needing to go to hospital to get an operation to get the smile taken off my face. It was just. It was
0: absolutely magnificent. Well, I don't know if you heard the last week's program, but uh, the, the, we were all uh, uh, very excited about the about the revival and and, and hope it, it does continue. But you were just talking about England there and the situation when managers go down to England. But there's been a lot of criticism of in England, but particularly by uh, Talk Sport uh, about Brendan Rogers uh, signing up with Celtic for another four years. Uh, the accusation being that he's running out. He's retired from top class football. Uh, now, two things. I mean, one, do, do you agree with that? And two, you know, are we really a joke league up here, or is it is, is it a bit more complex than that?
1: Brenner Rogers, Rodgers, um, very emotional wee fella. Um, I think he, he likes to be loved. There's no doubt about that at all. Um, and that is why he took the Celtic job. Out. He saw an opportunity. To be a success, let's be fair, they were always going to win the league. But it's how they've won the league has done them a lot of credit. I mean, they have played exciting football. um, You know, they're they're beating everybody. And let's not forget they had a magnificent performance against Manchester City, Mm. uh, who were unbeaten at the time, but they actually shocked the life of Manchester City. Now, there is no doubt that Brendan is doing well here, hoping that there will be another big job for him somewhere down the line. And it's not Celtic. But that doesn't have to be in the summer. That doesn't have to even be the year after that. Mm-hmm. He's re-establishing himself after a bit of a bitter and unfortunate end at Liverpool. Let's not forget that when he came to Celtic, the choice was to go to Swansea, who wanted him, or to go to Celtic. Now, Swansea have had three managers since. That just tells you, once again, what the Premier League is like in England. It's a madhouse. So in a lot of ways, he did well to get himself out of that. Um, Now, he might well have done better at Swansea than the three jokers they've had this season. But he's got out of that. He's gone to Celtic. Everybody loves him. Everybody listens to what he has to say, which is also something he likes. And um, he's back on the map. If a big job came up in the summer somewhere, then yeah. I'm sure he would give it some consideration. I don't think there is a big job for him anywhere in the summer. But if he does well next season again, and if he has a good run in the Champions League, then he will be back on the European map. And I think your major problem with Brandon Rodgers will be down the line a move to Spain, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that type of football, I think, appeals to him. And a chance to aim maybe getting a top job abroad, then that is the big threat to Celtic. I don't think there is a top job in England coming his way in the foreseeable, and if it's not a top job in England, it's not
0: worth talking about. But, but in general, the, the the general point about Scottish football, though, I mean, o- obviously the, the, there's not the same money up here as there is down south, but, but does the money always equate to quality?
1: I mean, the Premier League in England this year is, is fairly ordinary. The top teams are good on their day. Um, the rest, I mean, Watford are in the top half of the Premier League. And Watford's thinking the place out away from home. They're terrible. Mm. But the top few teams are good. They are exciting. They are a good watch. However, when they go into Europe, look what's happening. They can't beat anybody. I mean, Leicester are having a fantasy run at the moment on the back of winning the title last year, but the other big boys, or supposed big boys, are having a hard time. Um, chelsea It's now becoming a stage where, if you're not in Europe, you do well in the league, as Chelsea are proven, as Liverpool are proven. That's why they're doing so well this year, because the extra demands of European games aren't there for them, so they can have a clear run at the title, and that gives them an advantage. And that tells you when something like that is the difference that the actual overall quality of the English Premier League is not very high just now.
0: It's always a cliche when people talk about, you know, how would Celtic do in the Premier League and you get the guys for talk sports saying, you know, oh, they'd get relegated, etc., etc. But I think that it's probably a more useful comparison to say, how would somebody like Aberdeen do in, in, if they were, they were shipped down to England? I mean, of course, that the, the things wouldn't stay the same because any club moving into the English League is going to have more money at its disposal to, to buy better players. But how would just say that if you took the Aberdeen team? Down south right now How do you think That they would fare? Do you think they would Definitely be in a Relegation battle? Aberdeen would be A
1: championship side They have no point Pretending different Yeah, um, They would be A championship side I would have to tell you And I probably would Never have said this before That I think This season Celtic would be A top half Premier League team Because there are Some very ordinary teams In the top half In English Premier League mm. And Celtic would be A top half Premier League team So when Brendan Talks about You know, we could be talking about top six, top four. That might be a little bit fanciful, but something about ninth or tenth, why not? Why not? Aberdeen and the rest of the Premier League, I think, would labour in England simply because of the demands of the league. 46 games, very competitive games in the Championship. I don't know that Aberdeen would have the squad for that. So Mm -hmm. probably mid-table, maybe even bottom-third and that's not uh, you know trying to insult the people of the good people of Aberdeen I think that's just a fact in terms of the standard again when they go into Europe they struggle to get through the qualifying stages and that probably tells you where they are on on the global map Uh, but if you I see a lot of championship football and a fair bit of the Scottish game and I would say looking at Aberdeen they've got things going for them they've got a good manager they're well organised they'd be very difficult team to beat at home away from home they would probably struggle uh, just to travel apart from anything else let's not even talk about the football mm. uh, the, the advantage would be their geography that way in home games away games that would struggle in terms of general standard I just look at some of the players who do very well at Aberdeen flopped in England and that just tells me maybe yet then again the comparative standards I mean there are guys in that squad who couldn't get a game in third tier sides but who we do well in, in Aberdeen. So that might just tell you probably where they would be as well.
0: Looking at another Scottish team, and I suppose you could call them a sleeping giant, Rangers, at the moment, the situation with Dave King, which I'm sure you're aware of being an interest in Scottish football, but how much has that story about the takeover panel impacted south of the border?
1: Uh, Not much at all. Obviously, I mean, the the interest when he first came in was because of Mike Ashley. Uh, And the fact that Ashley down here is obviously somebody everybody likes to beat with a large stick. Um, So there was a great deal of interest in that. And the fact that Ashley, the great manoeuvrer, was actually outmanoeuvred for once. Um, But where it leaves Rangers down the line is another question because there's no doubt the club needs um, more investment. They didn't spend wisely this season. They did have some money they didn't spend wisely. So um, they've got a few things to sort out. They're definitely back on the map and they have a vast support, which always gives you a head start. Uh, but it's how you spend your money. And uh, obviously in King's case, uh, how much has he actually got to spend in the first place?
0: Well, I think that's what a lot of people have been, have been worrying about. But you certainly convince I think, the Rangers fans that perhaps there is... Uh, money to spend, but 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 he, he talks the talk, and, and as somebody said in the in, in one of the Scottish newspapers this morning, that, that thus far it uh, hasn't he walked the walk. But he seems to be bringing a lot of uh, disrepute to Rangers at the moment, simply because he, he's refusing to comply with the takeover panel thing. And and yeah. although people tend to think this is a Dave King thing, my understanding of it is that the, the, it could impact in the club in terms of finance, in terms of. Uh, just having auditors to be able to do their books, things like that.
1: Well, that will depend really on the, on the strength of the authorities. I mean, I can compare it to to England down here, where they have, um, you know, they have been similar scrutiny uh, on clubs who haven't put their books in and all the rest of it, and haven't been running the club as the rules dictate. Uh, all that happens down here is that they, you know, there are restrictions on the numbers of players you can sign. Um, and uh, you know transfer embargoes here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. Now, whether uh, there is a power or a will in Scotland to do that to Rangers and is another matter. It's always very, very difficult to get absolute justice in a case like this, either way, because you'll always get people saying, "Oh, it's a Rangers Celtic thing," or you know, that's yeah. the, you know people are trying to bring Rangers down again and all the rest of it. Um, Look, let's be fair. An awful lot of clubs, if you scrutinise their books, uh, certain things wouldn't appear right. Uh, some clubs are just bigger at that kind of thing than others.
0: David Moyes, feel really sorry for him. He's um, he seems to be not doing too well as, as far as Sunderland things concerned. And then the situation with the BBC interviewer last week uh, the accusations of sexism and uh, and threatening behaviour. I, my cards on the table here. I, I really, I, I thought it was sexist when he said that even if you're a woman thing. But I, I really genuinely heard that as a bit of fun. Do, do you think that's that? Perhaps it's because I just happen to like David Moyes that that I've got that view.
1: No, I'm, I'm the same. Um, David Moyes is not known for his sense of humour, and it was really a case of somebody without a sense of humour trying to crack an awkward joke yeah. Um. there's nothing meant by that it's, it's, a, it's a Glasgow comment isn't it it's you know it's that little bit of fantasy banter and that's all it is there is no way in the world that he was threatening the, the lady reporter and to be fair to her she'd asked a very good question at the end and if he saw his face he was quite shocked he was asked that and he gave an abrupt answer and he then sort of came out with a little aside afterwards I don't think there was anything meant by it I have dealt with sinister managers in my time and he's not one of those. Um, he doesn't sometimes say the right thing and react quick in his feet as, um, as your average Glaswegian does. But then again, he comes from Bearsden.
0: <laughs> well, actually, I didn't know that. But, uh, no, but, I don't. But I've, <laughs> not, I've, not known, I've known
1: him for years. I because I mean, I'm from Chapel, he's Bears then and I've often told him I used to Nick Apple's at his garden. So um, you know that that kind of thing goes on. But I'm obviously far quicker with the witter than Davy is. But um, yeah. no, it was one of those an awkward moment. In your heart thinking you thought, oh no, it's a stupid thing you say. The English don't get your sense of humour at times. There's no doubt about it. And in Davies' case, it's not got a great sense of humour to get in the first place.
0: Well, perhaps there is that cultural thing there uh, that that makes it a bit awkward. But, uh, but... Well,
1: we are we are we are politically incorrect in some ways that way, you know. And I have noticed it down the years. You know, something I thought was funny thirty, forty years ago, you can't see now. Yeah. Uh, and Davies maybe wandered into that twilight zone, but it wasn't meant. And if if you heard the reaction at the time, both sides were having a bit of a laugh. If probably if you'd seen his face when he said it, you'd have known it was a little bit of a mock yeah. comment. It wasn't meant. And the fuss and some of the nonsense that the Politically Correct Brigade come out with afterwards just makes you cringe. <sighs>
0: OK, what about the uh, breasts in Scotland on Ian Cathro? I mean, I think that, that he's having a, a difficult time culturally as well. I think he's been out of Scottish football for a long time. He He's never played the press game. And he, he appears to be under fire from, from the minute he walked into the, the, the Hearts job. There seemed to be a lot of resentment that he'd gotten the job in the first place at such a young age. Um, do you think that he's been harshly treated?
1: Well, it's a strange one. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because he got the job. Uh, through his connections with Craig Levine, uh, they're obviously close. They go back. Craig Levine wanted somebody who was—I've um, uh, got to be careful—probably the best word is puppet in the in the dugout, and um, and he got one. He got somebody who would uh, a young manager who would listen to him and consult him and and turn to him for advice. He didn't want to bring in a manager that thought he knew better than Craig Levine. Yeah. Uh, so that's why you get got a particular partnership. So yes, I can see that um, it's very, very easy for people to have three shots at the guy. Um, he's got to be double good. It won't be just enough for him to be you know, quite impressive. He's got to be excellent to get people off his back. Uh, and that will only get worse for him. It will not get better uh, with Hibbs coming back in because if Hibbs are better than Hearts next season... Uh, we won't even be having this conversation. He'll be gone.
0: Yeah. What about the director of football model? I mean, you know, oh. British football doesn't seem to like it. But Rangers are, are are set on adopting the same thing as well. And is that one of the fundamental faults in it that the director of football, especially in the Hearts model, anyway? Somebody like Levine Disney wants somebody smarter than him in the in the job as head coach.
1: Well, I absolutely hate the idea of directors of football because they're never to blame. It's the manager or the coach. Mm. The coach it is these days. The manager's been devalued so much. Uh, The coach uh, will be the one that gets the sack and the director of football will blame He's he's perfectly placed to stick the knife in. Now, to be fair to Levine, he's in a different position to that because he is a strong-hearts man. He's got himself a position out of the firing line and that actually could work if he found the right coach underneath him. In general, we don't know where Catharrow is yet, and we'll see whether we get enough time to judge that. But in general, you're now getting people who are jumped-up scouts, who are networkers, who've got a laptop and they can play with a computer, who are getting into important positions and are having far too much say, and the manager is being devalued as such. You're seeing managers, as I say, all over the place, not last a year, chucking them out, and that's it, gone. Now, it really annoys me in England that this is happening so much. You get, I mean, I, have, I know of a director of football recently who moved and there was a six-figure transfer fee involved mm. in moving them. I was laughing myself senseless at that one. That's how elevated they become. The people who run clubs now don't know how to run them, so they they bring in somebody who's impressed them to run it on their behalf. And these people are getting far, far too important and they don't really have any uh, accountability in my book. And it's the poor old coaches who are coming and going, don't get a chance, oh, let's blame them, kick them out. Yeah. You can't change the bad players that the director of footballs brought in um, so you get into the coach. And I just think that whole dynamic, particularly in England, is shocking. Hearts is obviously something new. Rangers experimented with the McParland and the Warburton thing, and we all saw how that ended. Um Brendan Rodgers significantly doesn't want a director of football. He wants a chief scout if he can possibly help it because he doesn't want anybody too important and getting between him and the decisions. That's what he didn't like at Liverpool a lot of the time when he had that transfer committee. The manager should really have the control over all these things. You should have a manager who's capable on all those fronts, as it is. As I say we're now splitting up that job description It's now a coach And a director of football And I just have to ask why
0: It does beg another question though Doesn't it Alan that, that, that Something that's always well, Not troubled me but as it's something that's always uh, I've been curious about Is that you're asking people who are not football experts that you know no. The board of directors at any club To, to make a, a, a quality judgement On someone who's supposed to be A football expert at, that, that is the manager
1: it's very difficult uh, well I mean in, in England in particular now maybe half the clubs are foreknown and the people who are coming in don't actually know the local game so they either mm. bring in a foreign director of football to run it who again might not necessarily no. know the local game uh, or you'll get the occasion where it'll be somebody who's been a chief scout or a, a director of football at a lower club put him in it gives an impressive presentation to get the job, and you hope he's good. Uh, it's very rare all of those stars align, and it, and it, and it works. So instead, instead of having the old relationship of a chairman, a chief executive or secretary, and a manager, you've now got this jumbled committee, and I think it's a mess, I don't think it helps at all. And it certainly creates a lot of change all the time because if something goes wrong, and for most clubs it does go wrong, because you can only have only so many will succeed, mm. uh, they're just going to change something, change that one, change that one, change that one. Usually the coach. So you've got a constant state of flux and I don't think it does anybody any good.
0: Back to Scottish football. Now, be- be- before we go, the big fears in 2011-2012 was Armageddon, the Stuart Regan uh, had uh, had characterised it do you think Armageddon ever happened oh, and do you think that Scottish football is in a better, worse or about the same place as it was five, six years ago
1: Much as I hate to say it, it Scottish football does need a powerful Celtic Rangers uh, spark the two of them should really be at the top of the tree Mm-hmm. for me and, and that's nothing against Aberdeen or Dundee United clubs like that who were fantastic in Europe and all the rest of it in, uh, in my youth um, but to really get a grip and get more people interested and get more people going to the games etc etc Celtic and Rangers really have to have a proper head to head rivalry and Rangers are probably three four years from the stage where they can catch up with Celtic and you want it to be catch up rather than catch down uh, because what, if you raise that level or you raise that bar. where well Celtic and Rangers are very strong where they're competing with each other where they're spending money to compete with each other mm. that everybody's standard goes up then I, I genuinely believe and a lot of Thistle fans will criticise me for this that it was a disaster when Rangers went to the bottom level because you cannot have a proper competition with them that low you're causing a great deal of damage, rights and wrongs of why it was done, another matter. Yeah. But the actual reality of the thing is that you need Celtic and Rangers to be at each other's throats, to galvanize the thing. Aberdeen can then come in and compete as well, why not? Other clubs can try and keep up with it and hopefully the spin off is great. People are going to games, they're travelling to away games, they're not boycotting away games. And the whole thing is a lot healthier than um that it was threatening to be. I mean Whenever you hear about Rangers fans talking about boycotting away games a few years ago, I thought, well, I can understand where they're coming from. The people who are going to suffer are the other clubs and um, the ones who voted them out. Now, while there might have been a lot of bitterness and, and justifiable bitterness on both sides, that isn't really great for the, the state of Scottish football. It needs Celtic to be strong. It needs Rangers to be strong. And it needs them to go to the next level and be strong in Europe as well. Uh, it's happened before
0: it can happen again We'll do a wee thing later on Alan in, in the programme about Jim Crookshank, the, the half's oh, goalkeeper right. uh, Any memories uh, that you could that you could add to what we're going to say about him?
1: Just what a goalkeeper he was I mean Crookshank was around forever uh, a real character um, and back in the days when Scotland had a lot of good goalkeepers mm-hmm. uh, I mean if Jim Crookshank was playing just now he'd be in the Scotland squad every time, <laughs> don't worry about that uh, and that's not to decry the, the number one, two and three we've got just now, but he would be in there, uh, whereas at the time he was around, um, the jostling for the job was difficult. A real character, if he'd maybe gone to further fields, if he'd gone to England and, and got himself a top club, they might not be telling so many jokes about Scottish goalkeepers down here.
0: But of course he was he was very much a one-club man. Well, I think he, he, he played yes. with Dumbarton at the end of his career, didn't he? But, but, uh, but very much a, a one-club man.
1: An absolute character go- The goalkeepers were like that In that era I mean Alan Ruff was with Thistle For yeah. oh, oh, well over a decade You know if you were with a club You tended to stay with them. then uh, For whatever reason They wouldn't let you go and, and a lot of these guys Didn't want to go anyway And Krugshank was very I mean you always knew the half team sheet Straight away You certainly knew the first name on it
0: I said I was going to let you go A minute ago But just before you go uh, What about Thistle for next season what, what what are the aims for you For your point of view the goals for next season
1: I just want to see Thistle Do the same again next season I want us to regard ourselves As a top 6 club uh, I don't want it to be a, a surprise Next time round I certainly don't want it to be 40 years until it happens again <laughs> uh, I don't think it will be I think the first team is in good shape I love the fact we've got kids coming through, we've got two or three on the bench now. That is what we should be about down the line and hopefully we can be about down the line.
0: Alan, thanks very much for your help, with he? it.
1: No worries at all, pal. Anytime.
0: Jim Crookshank was the longest serving and arguably the very best goalkeeper in the history of Hearts. From 1964 to 1977, he wore the number one jersey at Tyne Castle, achieving a remarkable 102 clean sheets in 394 league matches, playing 528 games in all competitions for the Jam Tarts, the fourth highest number of appearances by one of their players. Jim was a personification of the loyal club player that was once the norm in Scottish football, but has since sadly disappeared. Brought up in Glasgow's Southside, Crookie joined his local side Queen's Park after school at the same time as uh, one Alex Ferguson. And whilst at Hamden, Jim played for his country at youth, amateur and under 23 levels before Tommy Walker signed him for Hearts in 1960. He made his debut as a 19-year-old in October of that year, but he had to wait a while until Gordon Marshall left, in fact, to become First Joy's goalkeeper, Famously opinionated in the field, Crookie left no one in any doubt who was in the boss in his penalty area as many former teammates and opponents will testify. At 5 feet 11 inches, he was a bit on the short side for a goalie, but he was a robust and powerful presence in the box and he possessed great athleticism and fantastic courage. He was notable, for his shot stopping ability uh, as many goalkeepers are and he regularly made a habit of saving penalties one standout was a save from a penalty by Hibs captain Joe Davis in the near-day game in 1967 but he also saved two shots on the rebound an elegant and suave presence on the field as well with his trademark moustache and the chic all black gear Crookie was an iconic individual but it was his ability that saw him become Scotland's goalkeeper his international debut was in a 2-2 draw against Germany, or West Germany as they were at the time, in 1964. Jim was luckless, unfortunately for Hearts, on the trophy front. He was in goal in 1965 when they lost the Scottish League Championship and goal average to Kilmarnock at Tynecastle on the final day of the season. It was a, a 0-2 reverse, as I remember. He had no chance with either the Kelly goals... He also played in two Scottish Cup finals, one in 1968 and the other in 1976, when Hearts were beaten by Dunfermline and Rangers respectively. And he also played in the Anglo-Scottish Texaco Cup final in 1971, uh, where Hearts lost to Wolves on aggregate over two legs. Jim's meagre six cap says more about the Scottish selection committee system at the time than it does about his abilities, although it has to be said that Scotland had a lot of great goalkeepers in that era, Ronnie Simpson, Bobby Clark, Ali Hunter, to name just a couple, though Hearts fans will always maintain that Crookie was the best in those times. The fact that his caps were spread over 11 years speaks volumes for his consistency, of course, and his performances undoubtedly helped to maintain Hearts as one of the top four clubs in the country. In fact, his performance in a nothing-nothing draw with England at Hamden in 1970 was perhaps the high point of his international career, as he defied the English side constantly. Then, of course, they were the reigning world champions. In the 1970s, when Hearts went into a decline, Cruikshank remained loyal to the Tynecastle side, even though he was a top goalkeeper who could have chosen to play almost anywhere. In fact, he stayed with Hearts until 1977, leaving to join Dumbarton in the then Division 1 when Hearts were relegated from the old Premier Division soon after that led to him playing against his whole club but the Hearts supporters eh, on that occasion gave him a rousing reception. He played one season for Dumbarton and after retiring he became a publican and then a shopkeeper. Latterly, Jim was involved in a dispute with Hearts over a testimonial match but he remained a jambo, relishing the time he gave to fans of the club. In turn, they rightly accorded him the status of club legend, organising a gala night for him in 1975. In his final illness, Cruikshank was cared for at Edinburgh's Marie Curie Hospice. He died on the 18th of November 2010 at the young age of 69. Jim Cruikshank is another player whose legacy transcends clubs he was universally admired and respected by fans of all clubs and all of our football experiences have been made the better by his contribution Well that's about it for this week, although breaking news uh, just as we record this programme is that Paul Hartley has been sacked by Dundee no time to comment on that of course but I'm sure we'll have time to chat about that next week and I'm also sure that the SFM blog we'll be full of that this evening as well. Only remains for me to say thanks very much to Alan Nixon for his very entertaining and very informative contribution. Once again, thanks to Jim Cruikshank, of course, for the memories. And a thanks to you for being at one once again with TWM at sfm.scott. I've been John Cole. See you next time.